Welcome to Flatten the Curve, a podcast that looks at the impact of the coronavirus on life in Wales. We'll be sharing our thoughts, but more importantly, we'll be hearing from the experts and those whose lives have been most affected and disrupted. Together, we'll unpick our way through the science and try to better understand the weeks and months ahead. From Wuhan to Wales and everything in between, this is the podcast to take on the pandemic. We're back. After a short break, we're ready to bring you more of the big topics coming out of the COVID-19 response. But before that, Jack, how have you been? I've been really good this week. Um, the day's still merged into one big mush. Um, we are busy in work, planning uh, how best to respond and support public bodies um, in, in their recovery plans and still obviously keeping an eye on the emergency in the present day of you know responding to to, to COVID-19, uh, but hasn't it been lovely, the lifting of that five-mile bubble um, and means now that we can extend uh, our reach a little bit further and, and visit family, friends that we haven't seen for a long time. So that's the plan this weekend, is to go and see uh, my parents who I haven't seen for uh, a long time. So that would be nice. A strange feeling because, obviously, on the one hand, things are getting better. Uh, on the other hand, obviously, there's still some uncertainty uh, out there but and I went in for the first time today I walked into to some shops um, in Cardiff uh, which sounds like a really bizarre thing to to applaud um, but uh, that's what I did I ventured into the city centre and um, a very strange place uh, but lots of uh, familiar familiar people uh, around as well so some form of normality this week how about you Hugh? Yeah pretty much the same I think yeah we're at Equally as excited about being able to go a bit further, to be able to get back out there, to go into shops again. Um, finally got to go to TK Maxx after months and months. I'm pretty sure because we live so close, we usually end up in there at least having a random browse as you do like every weekend. Um, so I've missed that and it was nice to kind of get back in. Some really good bargains as well. So, you know, it's worth a little look, but make sure it's not too busy and make sure, you know, you've got your mask and everything for when you go in and take precautions. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to kind of get back out there, but also still being aware of, you know, COVID's not gone yet. Um, So just taking those necessary precautions when we go out as well. Um, My loft's finished. We've got an lovely loft space now with a second office space. So, you know, if we do end up working from home more, we've got two office spaces now. So we're not going to be fighting over that one desk in the spare room. Choices over who gets the cat on their lap when doing so. But (laughs) we'll argue over that, I'm sure. Um, But no, it's been quite nice just kind of, yeah, seeing family at a distance and just kind of ticking over in work as well. It's nice to get back to kind of what I was what I started working on in February, which was this joint action, the sharp joint action that I work on. Um got to do a bit of international health regulation training last week, which is really interesting. Learning more about kind of classifications of public health emergencies of international concern and how they get kind of graded and everything. So that was a nice bit of interesting learning and very timely again um, based around COVID-19. So that's some interesting exercises there. But Jack, um, a fun question for you now. What is your favourite cheese? <laughs> well, well, let's just take a, a moment to just appreciate that this week. And for those who aren't aware, of course, Mark Drakeford, our first minister here in Wales, being asked uh, by a cheese enthusiast, I think, uh, uh, in one of the, the media questions this week, um, I was asked what 
his favourite cheese was, and it was a great response. Um, we won't spoil the viewers uh, or the listeners uh, what cheese it was. We'll let them go and find the video, and they put it in in the in the bio and and, and tweet it. But um, my favourite cheese, um, to be honest, I do love a brie, and I'm going to be controversial and say a French brie, not a Cornish or a uh, a British brie. So I've uh, broken some some rules there and probably um, all of our listeners just gone what <laughs> but i yeah i do like uh, a french brie what about you Hugh? oh it's really hard to choose i mean ugh, there's just so many good cheeses like, i really do struggle when picking a cheese i do like a nice you know when you get like a nice big loaf of bread and you dip it into a nice baked camembert i think that's hard to beat isn't it i mean it's just so good you've got the gooey beautiful just oh, dip it in you get some like caramelized onion marmalade and it's so good and you can't see those listening you can't see but i'm making very crazed hand dipping gestures at the yeah, moment I can <laughs> but yeah no i do like a nice kind of baked camembert but then you get some really nice interesting kind of flavored cheeses out there as well even like i tried have you tried this like a sticky toffee cheese absolutely so, not so good no, so that is not a combination but, uh, oh no it really is and it's so so good there's so many good interesting like flavored cheeses out there that you could just yeah that's fun experimental cheeses to try uh, i'll take your word for it hugh but we're not here to discuss cheese and i'm quite surprised that we haven't uh, included any cheese puns uh, thus far in today's podcast who knows there might be one or two to come um hugh's normally the Joker, so we'll leave that one to him. But I'm really pleased that we're discussing the impact of COVID-19 on businesses and workers in Wales. Um, over the last uh, three, four months, uh, various topics have come to the agenda. Uh, so we've got a lot to discuss here. We have indeed. We'll be looking at everything from the furlough scheme and the complications and the implications of that. We'll be talking about childcare provisions um, and we'll also be talking about the economic recovery as well, a big topic going forward now. So you kind of want to look at all of the various aspects. I mean, there's so many sectors um, involved to and to discuss and to think about. So we'll be speaking to the experts on this and hopefully they'll be able to break down some of that information, some of those concerns. Also explain some of the announcements from Chancellor Rishi Sunak this week as well. Absolutely. Well, Joe Allen will be joining us. He's the policy officer at Wales TUC and Hannah Cole uh, as well. And we'll hear about her business uh, as well on the podcast. So we're delving straight in. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Tell us a bit about yourself and what it is that you do. OK, um, yeah, my name is Joe Allen. I'm not the Wales international footballer, but I am a policy officer at the Wales TUC. The Wales TUC is the umbrella body for trade unions in Wales. We, we represent about 400,000 workers through our affiliate unions. And so my day job involves covering a wide range of policy areas, uh, but most recently, obviously, like for many other people, it's been taken up by uh, thinking about the economic response to the COVID crisis. And we'll talk about that in, in a bit. But how have you been over this time? It's something we ask all our guests. But how have you been keeping busy uh, and how have you been ensuring that you're taking care of yourself during lockdown? Um, yeah, it's been from a work point of view, it's been fairly straightforward to, to transition into working from home in a fortunate position in that um most of the stuff that I do uh, can be done at home. So I've been getting used to the kind of etiquette of video calls like everyone else has. 
uh, on a personal level, slightly more challenging, I guess, in that I have uh, two children, three and under. And so, uh, yeah, my wife and I have had to adapt to dealing with, um, yeah, not having childcare provision or grandparents to, to lean on as we had previously. That's just changed in the last week or so as the nurseries have opened up again. But yeah, that's been fairly difficult, uh, 10 weeks or so dealing with that. So I'd imagine it's been quite a busy time for trade unions as a whole across Wales. And I suppose as the umbrella body for trade unions, you're kind of a dual role of dealing with kind of, you know, workers' rights, but also, you know, the well-being and the support for the trade unions themselves as well. What's the general mood out there at the moment? Yeah, I think it's really challenging. And I think it's gone through a number of different phases. I think initially a lot of our work was focused on the initial kind of public health response in many ways. So there were a lot of challenges around the establishing of proper testing capacity and ensuring that there was sufficient PPE for uh, care workers and NHS staff who were at the front line of dealing with the crisis. So in the initial period there, there was a lot of focus on that kind of work and there were obviously huge challenges for, for the governments at Welsh and UK level. But yeah, we've shifted on now into greater focus on the economic response questions. Um, obviously, the public health challenges are, are absolutely still there and are kind of closely linked in with the economic challenges. But yeah, I think there is a lot of trepidation really about what is going to happen as the huge uh, furlough and employment support schemes are wound down over the next couple of months. And I think there's significant fear that as welcome as the furlough schemes have been, that when we come out of them, we're going to see a fairly sharp increase in unemployment beyond what we've seen already, um, different across different sectors, obviously. But yeah, a lot of concern about how things are going to look as we move into the autumn, I think. And one of the areas of concern that would be as consumers or people that will be using businesses is the safety um, and guidance that's out there um, for businesses. But from a trade union perspective, I suppose it's looking at the workers themselves and making sure that they're um, ready, that they're supported, that there's the right safety measures out there. Um, but there's still a lot of people who are worried about returning to work um, and work might look a bit different now. Does the TUC have um, messages of support? Well, what, what are you offering um, workers during, during this period? So in a direct sense, we have a great deal of information and uh, guidance on our website, which people are free to, to uh, go online and use. But we, yeah, we've been quite closely involved both at a UK level and a Welsh level in developing the guidance documents for um, return to work and ensuring people feel confident that they can return to work safely. Uh, one of the key aspects of that has been um, ensuring that employers are fulfilling their legal obligations to undertake a risk assessment and for trade union representatives and workers to be involved in those risk assessments in each workplace, because it's often uh, the workers who are, who are best informed about the kind of steps and measures that need to be taken uh, to make sure that everybody is safe and can feel confident in going back to work. And again, that looks hugely different across different sectors. So uh, in the end, you know, Welsh Government have ended up producing dozens and dozens of sector-specific um, workplace guidance documents that, yeah, we've been quite heavily involved in producing as well. Um, so, yeah, there's, there is this real obligation on, on employers to make sure that they are doing everything they can to build confidence for their workers and, and involving workers properly in those conversations about how they can 
best feel protected at work. And do you think kind of trade unions play a right a vital role in building that trust as well? You know, um, you know, there are additional things that add to this freer around the return to work. If you just look, you know, what's happening with the plants in Llangevni, uh, Wrexham, and Merthyr, um, you know, I think that's going to cause some additional uh concerns for people working in those types of settings. And um, what sort of a role does do trade unions play in that situation, and how can that reassure people about the kind of the safe return to work again? Yeah, I mean, those are really good examples. I think what has become obvious as time has gone on is that there are particular challenges in um, meat processing plants. And it seems that those environments are kind of fertile ground for the virus and there are particular um, yeah, challenges in ensuring that those places are safe. Uh, some of the successes that trade unions have had in those specific examples is ensuring that people who are being asked to isolate have proper sick pay. And that was the case, I think, in St. Gedney in the Two Sisters plant after union pressure was applied there. In, um, we were able to secure proper sick pay for those people who had been isolated and who were out of work for the two weeks while that plant was closed. But one of our big problems at the moment is that as a matter of UK policy, there isn't proper across the board statutory sick pay protection for people. And this is an issue not just in those meat processing plants, but also in the social care sector as well, in that people are being asked to isolate under the um, track, trace and protect system. But they've been asked to do it while uh, being asked to fall back onto £95 a week, which is just not a sustainable thing to do. So you have people with kind of difficult questions for themselves about you know fearing that they may have been exposed to the virus but needing to go into work because they can't afford to stay out of work in the first place and so one of our real concerns is that the kind of long-term public health effort to control the virus is being undermined by a kind of short-sightedness at a UK policy level about providing people with a proper level of sick pay so that's one of our big campaigning issues at the moment and we were disappointed in the uh, Chancellor's announcements that that wasn't an issue that was uh, comprehensively tackled. I suppose we'll come on to more of those big challenges that um, uh, workers and businesses have had to face over this period and increasingly so having to will have to face over the next few months and beyond. But I'm keen, Joe, to hear about some of the opportunities first that this period has enabled us to discuss issues like sick pay or other issues you know have we have we seen an increase in in the number of people who are turning to unions um are we discussing topics now that we weren't um allowed is probably not the right term but uh not given a space to to discuss are there positives that we can take out of what's been an awful time for businesses and and for families up and down the country yeah i think i think there are um so on the question of kind of uh, take up of union membership. I think there there are definite examples uh, in specific sectors where there has been a sharp uptick in, in membership numbers. Um, but I think what the crisis has served to do is to shine a light on the vulnerabilities and weaknesses of our economy. And I think it has kind of focused minds on some areas where reform can't be delayed any longer. And I think a really good example of that is in the social care sector. So, you know, we had 10 weeks or so of everybody going out and clapping on the street for uh, the workers who are at the front line. But the reality is that for people in the, working in the social care sector, the terms and conditions in that sector have traditionally been very poor and not 
uh, in any way lining up with what people could expect within the NHS. And a lot of that is to do with the way that the sector is structured. So you have a kind of mixed economy of kind of private provision, outsourced um, public sector, private provision. And as a result, there's been very little worker voice uh, within that sector. And so what we've been uh, talking about for a while now with, with the Welsh Government is the need to establish a, a fair work forum for social care, which will uh, set up a system of sectoral collective bargaining, which means we can set a proper floor for employment conditions and pay in the sector. And I think there is a, a real awareness now that that can't really be delayed any longer. Uh, and so we're hopeful that one of the good things that will come out of all this is that we'll finally get around to addressing some of those funding and employment um, issues within the social care sector. That's really interesting, Joe, talking about the opportunities. And I think in lots of different sectors, we've, we've seen some positives or uh, an opportunity for us to discuss some tough questions uh, during this period. Hopefully we'll keep on to those questions as we enter the recovery uh, period. But talking about those biggest challenges, and you mentioned quite a, quite a few of them there, sick pay, uh, childcare provisions, the uncertainty around furlough, uh, and even recently, uh, we've heard of you know the uncertainty within um, uh, Airbus, for example, or the manufacturing industry uh, as a whole. And of course, um, be it on whatever side of the argument you'll be in terms of Brexit, but that's to come. And there's some uncertainties uh, still surrounding that. It seems to be a year of uncertainty. Um, and I'm thinking much closer to home here in Wales um, with the flooding and, and the impact that's had on on several businesses and, uh, and employers. Um, what have you made of those challenges? And do you think there's enough support being given to uh, to those big challenges from Welsh government and others? Yeah, I think that's tricky. I mean, one of the really difficult aspects about the crisis is that the sectors that have facing the biggest impact from COVID uh, are slightly different from the sectors that are facing the biggest impact from Brexit, for example. And so it's kind of a double whammy. What we, I mean, what we've said at the TUC is that it makes no sense for us to be pushing on with, um, with Brexit at a point where we're also trying to deal with this kind of unprecedented public health and economic challenge through COVID as well. So we called for an extension of the negotiation period it doesn't look like that's going to happen so that's particularly frustrating in terms of like the scale of the response and the level of support that's been provided it's a mixed bag really but you know you have programs like the furlough scheme which have been which have unquestionably kept people in jobs uh that otherwise would not have been kept in in their job and you know, to see the proof of that, you only have to look at the unemployment figures in the United States where they've taken a different, a very different approach from this. Um, so that has been like a really useful, that was something that we were calling for and that's something that's been like really positive. Our concern is about how that scheme will be wound down in the, in the coming months. Um, there are gaps in the, in the support that's been provided. I think a lot of our... Um, trade union affiliates who work in the creative industry sector and who work with people who are self-employed, they would point to quite significant gaps in the self-employment um, income support scheme that have not been filled despite uh, repeated protests. Um, and I'm slightly nervous that the 
kind of demand, the economic stimulus side of the response is not going to be at the scale that's needed. Um, and that's something that's going to play out over the next couple of months. But yeah, I think a slight fear for us at the moment is that a lot of good work has gone into kind of freezing the economy and shoring things up in the short term. But there's a risk that unless we're equally ambitious about the policy platform that comes next, a lot of that good work will be undermined. You know, as you said there, um, you know, it has been a week of quite a few announcements from um, the cabinet, from Rishi Sunak himself. Um, you know, information around VAT, use skills scheme. Um, he said about a ten pound voucher today for the to boost local economies again. Can you help us kind of digest a bit of that and exp- kind of break some of that down to kind of help us understand that a little bit more? Yeah, so I think the Kickstart um, employment support scheme looks. Uh, a really good idea it's something that we support we'll be looking at the details of that in the next couple of days because uh there are obviously things that happen in uh, already in place in wales like the jobs growth wales scheme which is similar in many ways about providing subsidies to get um younger people into employment but the scale of that you know i think it's two or three billion pounds potentially been invested through that uh, that looks very positive and is in line with with what we've been calling for. I think it's it's broadly modelled on the Future Jobs Fund, which um, the Labour government introduced in response to the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. And that was a, a really successful scheme in kind of ensuring that there were jobs for young people in particular, but also the longer term unemployed to go into, which would help kind of mitigate and lessen the kind of long-term scarring effects that being out of work for a long time can have. So on that side of things, that sounds really positive. And there's also been a, a kind of flurry of announcements about building out capacity in the employment support sector. Again, all of that will have to be picked apart in terms of what happens in Wales and what is what applies to England only. I think, yeah, as I was mentioning, I think we are slightly underwhelmed by the scale of the investment on kind of um, economic stimulus work on like the, the green jobs uh, related announcements that have been made in terms of retrofitting homes um, and public sector building and social housing building as well. Uh, I think there's definitely room for more to be done in, in that area. And also I think what we were looking for is a kind of more proactive uh, sector specific response. So I think Jack mentioned earlier the, job announcements in Airbus last week. Uh, I think the UK government, so to be clear, it's only really the UK government that has the the kind of deep pockets to respond to um, protect those kind of jobs. And what we've seen in Europe is France and Germany being prepared to act at a scale that we haven't seen from the UK government. So yeah, we'd like to see more being done to protect good quality jobs in, in sectors like manufacturing. So yeah, once again, a bit of a mixed bag in terms of the announcements that have been made this week. I think we need Joe to come on the podcast on a weekly basis to explain to us uh, what the UK government is doing and uh, articulate it the way uh, he has just done. Um, much clearer understanding there from, from Joe than I did from Rishi earlier today. Anyway, enough about criticising the UK government's communication channels. Um, I'm interested, Joe, to discuss uh, home working um, and the new world that we're now we're now in. It's something that we've all had to, or the majority of us have had to adapt to and understand um, how that works. Um, is that a positive thing? Are we seeing positives from home, home working? Um, you know, I'm trying to, what's the relationship between the employer and the employee when you're no longer in the same building, um, no longer 
checking to make sure that they're arriving on time or whatever. I mean, we're lucky in the in the Office of the Future Generations Commissioner that we have an any time, anywhere policy and non-hierarchical structure within the office. So, you know, these are things that we're quite used to, but not everybody um, has had to work in that way. And so what do you make of home working uh, during this period? Yeah, I think I think when when we've talked about this, there. Yeah, I think it's meant different things for different people. There are definite benefits for for people now having the opportunity to to work from home. Things around having greater flexibility, you know, flexibility. Um, obviously, there are benefits in terms of the green agenda, less commuting, less traffic on the roads, that kind of thing. Um, better use of public space. What we would emphasise, I think, in the discussions that are going to be held about working from home over the next couple of months are the importance of it being worker choice and the importance of worker voice in these decisions and not having these things handed down from on high by employers. And I think it's also really important to recognise that there is a big split um, within the workforce when it comes to the, these discussions about work from home. And it tends to be in some of the more secure kind of middle class jobs that there is this kind of pleasant and upside to working from home, whereas it's just not an opportunity that's available to a lot of people in um, other parts of the economy. So, yeah, I think that's definitely something we've got to be conscious of in, in, in this discussion. But, yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that employers are going to be keen to look at. And I think definitely within the public sector, for discussions with Welsh Government about, you know, up to 40% of the workforce working from home in the future. Um, so, yeah, from a union perspective, in terms of from an organising perspective, I think there are challenges in it as well. A lot of the discussions that people have, those kind of informal discussions that people have are uh, play a key role in union activity in the workplace. So, yeah, it's um, uh, it's an interesting discussion, but not completely uncomplicated, I think. Yeah, there's some interesting um, parallels there, actually, to a conversation we're having about schools becoming a place of refuge or a separate space for pupils. And it's very much the same as, you know, we think of work as a space where we go to go and work and then we come home and have our life but actually it, for many it can become a separate safer space a different space their own space where they can be themselves or they can be different or they can have different opportunities to interact that they wouldn't usually get at home so I think yeah there's a lot to consider in that working for home blended working environment you know you think about data poverty and you think about you know, like you said you know different socioeconomic backgrounds different kind of levels of employment so yeah it's, it's a big conversation isn't it and you know, there's a lot to consider to, I think where there's a lot of you know there's a lot of energy and a lot of excitement about introducing it we have to be cautious and you know make sure it's applied in the right way at the same time I think. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's it's that key point about the conversations happening with workers and workers having control over their own work environment. Just thinking about within uh, my own team at the Wales TUC, there's definitely a split within the office in terms of uh, people who favour working from home and people who prefer to be back in the environment. So I think that's probably true uh, across the board. Fab, and I think we've already started to touch on it there, uh, talking about working from home and the changes there. But what does Wales look like post COVID nineteen for you? What do you hope? What big changes do you hope to see? What ideas or inspiration have we seen throughout the response to the pandemic that we could carry forward? What What does post COVID Wales look like for you? Well, prior to the crisis, uh, our big piece of work was on moving forward the recommendations of the Fair Work Commission, 
So the Fair Work Commission was set up a couple of years ago by the Welsh Government to look at how they could promote the concept of fair work uh, within Wales, within the kind of limited powers that, that the Welsh Government have. So employment law is a reserved UK power. Uh, so it was a really interesting piece of work that looked at, um, yeah, the range of policy options that the Welsh Government uh, had in this area. Uh, and I think that that agenda is still hugely relevant to, to Wales post-crisis as well. Um, we've gone through a hugely difficult uh, 10 years or so of austerity and public sector cuts. But nevertheless, uh, we think there's a huge opportunity for us to progress the issue of fair work in Wales. Um, what we have seen is uh, significant amounts of money going into the Welsh budget. Now, a lot of that has gone directly out again in terms of the um, support that's been provided to businesses during the crisis. But we are keen to see action um, to stimulate the economy in the coming uh, months and years. And we see big opportunities there in terms of the green economy. So investment in uh, energy projects, which have the potential to um, to employ a lot of people and to develop skills in new and kind of exciting areas of the green economy. I think big programs around social housing uh, and around like retrofitting schemes to improve the en energy efficiency of existing housing stock. Uh, obviously, there's short term challenges on the public health side with public transport. But I think we're still super keen to see the development of projects like the South Wales Metro as well. So I think part of what we've seen as well is a, a return of the state in some ways. This is like the second time in 12 years that the state has had to step in to save uh, significant parts of the economy. And I think there's a greater awareness now of, of uh, the fact that the economy is not something that sits separately from government and the state as well. And I think we would hope that in the years ahead, the Welsh Government will be prepared to be a bit more uh, proactive and interventionist on the private sector side as well and really look to maximise their opportunities to drive up employment standards. I think um, there's been a lot of talk about building back better. And although superficially employment figures prior to the crisis were pretty strong in Wales, a lot of the recovery from the last crisis, from the financial crisis of 2008, was built on precarious work. Um, Wales has one of the highest levels of um, zero hours contracts for, across the UK, and that had grown significantly over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, we're keen to see proper action to make sure that the, the jobs um, that are in place over the next few years are proper quality jobs and aren't based on exploitative relationships between employers and workers. There we go, Joe. There's your wish list. Um, I'm looking forward actually to putting all these uh, different versions of COVID-19 uh, together from our guests and yeah, presenting them in some shape or form to decision makers, be that in Welsh Government or the UK Government um, in time. Or maybe we'll have them on the programme and we can uh, test them uh, ourselves. But many thanks, Joe, for, for joining us. Uh, from a personal level, we look forward to working with the TUC from the office um, in developing the Wales that we want post-COVID uh, and challenging some of those big, uh, big questions that we've covered in, in today's podcast. So many thanks, Joe. Take care. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. While I was off working on one of my many endeavours this week, Jack caught up with Hannah Cole of Cole & Co. 
Cole & Co is a family-run business that started out with a lifestyle shop selling clothes, gifts and greeting cards in Beaumaris. They've since expanded to a much larger company with stores also in South Wales. They'll be talking about their experiences of COVID-19 and what that has meant for the future of their company. I'm really pleased to welcome Hannah to the podcast. Welcome, Hannah. Hi. So Hannah Cole from Cole & Co. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the business uh, in a moment, but... Tell us, Hannah, how's life been in lockdown for you? Uh, what have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Let's not talk work. Let's talk just your well-being and how have you re- relaxed? Not going to lie, though. Spent most of the time working, so it hasn't actually felt that different for me. Um, it's just been a whole change of where I've been working. We only opened our shop uh, in November, so to have to close in March was a bit of a, um, a heartache. However, um, I've been working at home since 2016 so it was something that was fairly normal to me was to just jump straight back into working from home um actually the only problem it does cause though is I work too much because I don't leave my desk uh but other than that it's been we've got a new puppy so he's only six months so he's been keeping us occupied so we've done plenty of training um and that's been a lovely side project whilst we've been off and yeah just trying to relax as much as possible the sun definitely helped I'm a bit of a sun hunter so a couple of days of tanning didn't go amiss either. <laughs> Chris, what's the what's the puppy's name? Oscar. He's a cavapoo. Ah, amazing. Super fluffy and super adorable. Oh, nice to have that kind of uh, company at home, um, keeping, keeping you busy. So explain a little bit, for those who don't know, uh, what Cole & Co is. And yeah, talk a little bit about the journey. Okay, so we were set up in 2010. Uh, it's my mum and dad that started it. And then I joined back in in 2015. Uh, we make handmade artisan toiletries that ranges from anything from a soap all the way through to diffusers and candles and room sprays. Um, everything's made by hand in either our workshop on Anglesey or our new workshop in Cardiff. Um, and last year we launched our refill side of our company. So we now also make refill toiletries, which are large five litres or 20 litre containers that get sent out to zero waste shops all over the UK. Oh, you've practised that. That's that's a very articulated... <laughs> I realised that. That sounded really well spoken. <laughs> it doesn't normally come out that well, so I was quite proud of myself for that one. <laughs> yeah, well done. I'm keen to get straight into it to understand the impact of COVID-19 uh, on the business and yeah, the new working life. It's interesting that you said you've worked from home uh, since 2010, so that hasn't changed, or at least that, that, that environment hasn't changed for you. But what's been the main challenges during this period? The first challenge was having to tell all my staff to stay at home. Um, that was really tricky because obviously March 27th orders just came to a complete halt it was like and stop Um, which considering our team had been really full on and we were on to have our best year yet so you can imagine how busy we were to then suddenly stop was quite hard on the team and I've got a young team my team ranged from 20 to 25 so they didn't want to stay at home Um, so that was quite tricky Uh, but then obviously as people got used to the new norm and because we do supply zero waste shops and they were able to open quite early, I took on doing the orders myself. So I was up at the shop two days a week making, which at the beginning, because I walk, I don't drive. So at the beginning, it was actually quite scary because there were no cars, no people. And there's just me walking up the hill to the shop and hoping that I don't touch anything and don't see anybody. And because that was at the point where everybody was so on it with making sure that they were being safe and being careful. Um, but at the same time, I had a job to do. I had to get the shops these orders because they run like a supermarket does. Um, so, yeah, 
that wasn't an easy start and now it's actually the other side of it that's proving to be tricky as well which is the gearing back up shop signs were open um, zero waste shops are all back open so now it's how do I bring my staff back when is it safe to do so and how many can I bring back at a time to fulfill the amount of orders in case suddenly the orders crash again so yeah it's it's being tentative and it's it's having that conversation every single day to say, are we in a different position now? Probably not. Try again tomorrow. So yeah, it's been, it's been a tricky period to try and work out knowing that everybody else is in the same boat. So as a manager then, uh, Hannah, you've had to learn and adapt quite quickly to the, to the changes. And how has that changed for you personally? Because there'll be lots of, you know, concerns, challenges that you've had to face as a manager. Um, and you said you only opened up the business in November and had to shut that down very, very quickly or early in terms of its uh, um, of it being around. What, what, what have you learned about your managing style during that period? I've learned I'm quite good under pressure, apparently, because pressure is all on me. Um, but also it's just the appreciation. I love my team and I did a podcast a few weeks ago and she was saying, oh my gosh, you're just so brilliant because you just, you, you love your team and that's the core. Now I consider that to just be something you do as a manager, but I've learned recently that it's not. So I just, I am so happy to start having my team back and to start being able to share the success with people. It's really nice. And also I am having to learn that I can't do everything. And so actually giving work to my team is proving to be, um, a new thing for them this week they've learned that I can actually relinquish control of certain jobs to other people so yeah it's definitely been a learning curve that's for sure giving away power yeah that's uh, something we've yeah, it's quite hard. yeah it is hard um let's talk about some of the specifics then so furlough have you had to do any of that during this period and how has that gone down with your employees we had to furlough all 17 members of staff um me mum and dad did every single job that all 17 of those members of staff did for three months. Um, so that ranged from packing, our internet sales went through the roof, which was incredible and it kept the business going. Um, but mum became very good at packing internet orders, which was something she'd never done before. So that was quite unusual. Dad was doing all the making and I was answering every email, doing every zero waste order. So yeah, we just divvied it between the three of us, primarily because in Cardiff, we look after the zero waste orders and they slowed down completely. So I couldn't value having the team in. And then in North Wales, mum's team are primarily over 50. So a lot of them were in high risk category from day one. So they had to leave. They had to go off. So it was either the three of us do it or actually we furlough all of us and we just close business. And that wasn't an option for us at the time. So it's just the three of us. We just kept going. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing that you have 17 members of staff. Um, and you said that in your team, they're quite quite young as well. It must be a, an exciting place to to work um, with yourselves. I'm. Also, what about childcare provisions? What are, what are the concerns that your staff have shared with you during this period that you've had to support them potentially with some of some of those concerns? Yeah, with my, because obviously mum and dad look a lot after their team. So when I say my team, I mean the guys that work in Cardiff. Um, a lot of what I had to do over the three months was more protect their mental health, make sure that they weren't going crazy from being at home. Um, luckily, quite a few of mine are artists or designers, so they just got creative. The projects that they've done have been out of this world. One of my staff just qualified with a first in fine arts, considering really? she couldn't create yeah I know amazing, amazing. Um, which considering she couldn't actually create her six foot sculpture in person it's pretty impressive um, yeah it was more a sake of just making sure that everybody was okay 
um obviously none of my team have kids so they that wasn't an issue and bringing them back to work they were just ready to go whenever I was ready to say that they were ready but I know that there's a couple of members of staff in North Wales that have held back a little bit longer because they now have do have to homeschool so they need to wait until the summer holidays start before they can consider coming back to work so I think mum and dad have had a bit more of a juggling act maybe than I have um and especially I think a lot of the staff in North Wales their children are older so they're adults and they said mum I don't want you going back to work so again they've had to face that whereas mine was just we're ready to come back to work whenever you are so yeah it's been nice to start getting them back in that's for sure well yeah I would imagine it you know seeing their faces again is going to be uh, after what four months of uh, not seeing them or only in, in a virtual world what about the the support that you've had then from from Welsh government but also from UK government do you think you've been adequately supported by those governments during this time? Financially, yes. Obviously, every penny helps when you can't open the front door. Um, clarity has been an issue probably from the beginning. Everything seemed to be released for us kind of a week later that would have eased our minds a lot sooner had they just told us straight what was going to happen. Um, but I think we're really lucky. The retail industry was the first that was allowed to reopen. So that allowed us to open our shop door last week. And um, obviously supermarkets and, and grocery shops being able to stay open meant zero waste shops stayed open um, so we've been lucky I know the hospitality industry has been hit so bad as and the arts industry you know industries that I care about deeply through friends businesses and through the world that I live in has been harder hit and still hasn't got the support that they need so I'd say we're pretty lucky um, yeah I just wish there was more we could do now to help extend it further so Hannah, explain, um, you know, with your international audience, is have you seen sales drop, go up? What concerns have you got in terms of that space? Internationally, we, we don't tend to have as many orders anyway. Um, a lot of our orders are national, so they go across the UK. And what's been lovely is people that would maybe, because um, Bumaris, our Anglesey shop, is a tourist hotspot. So during the summer, we'd normally be flooded with tourists. Um, what's been really lovely is getting orders through the website and they say we'd normally come and see you but we can't so we place our order online so that support has been incredible and something that we probably wouldn't have been able to get through the last three months without so um although nationally it hasn't affected us too much too much um we're grateful for the national support that's for sure what about the uh you know the wales post covid are there any lessons here that you want to hold on to you know working from home stuff and suppose that's pretty hard for people who are making things and need to be in specific places but is there anything from this period that you think oh do you know what that worked we're gonna we're gonna keep that we trialed it performance it seems to be working let's try and have you thought differently during this period yeah i think the main thing this time gave us um a chance to do is the clarity in the job roles um up until now, me, mum and dad have just run it and done whatever we had to do to get there. Um, whereas realising that we can change and manipulate the job roles that our staff have to give us a bit more of a chance to develop the company and to grow the company. And I think it took COVID for us to realise that up until now, we'd been a medium sized business being run as a small business because we just carried on doing it how we've done it for the last 10 years. And then during COVID, we went, oh, wait, no. We need to actually run this as a medium-sized company now and get the staff at the right level to help us out so that we can keep growing the company and keep doing the jobs that are going to get us to there rather than the day-to-day jobs. So I guess it's done that. And I've definitely taken from it that I need to do, I don't need to be at the shop every single day 
turned till half five when my job is much more mobile. So if that means I can be in the community having a cup of coffee or be at home and working from home, then that's great. It gives me a better um, headspace. I'm sure there are quite a few bosses uh, during this period who've had to do tasks that their employees normally do and have had an opportunity to a day in the life form, if you like, spending time doing those things to, to actually understand what their employees have to do and have a better understanding of their roles and responsibilities. Exactly. Well, it's even like I said, mum was packing internet orders, which she hasn't done before. And that meant that then I was getting phone calls saying, oh, this isn't working. We need to change this. We need to do this. So now our packing systems is 100 times better than it was before. And I worked in our workshop on my own and still realised that the layout didn't work. So before everybody came back, I completely changed the way that it laid out. So like you say, I think for some people, having the day in a life of does wonders. It works. It works magic. So Hannah, you've reopened the shop in Cardiff, but not the one in in North Wales. What are the specific measures that you've had to put in place uh, to make sure that you're conforming with the advice and and guidance out there? So the biggest change we had to make is we've got a large shop space in Cardiff, uh, but I realised that it's too close to the workshop if somebody's just walking around and I need to protect the staff because we've got to keep making. So we've now got the shop in Cardiff as an over-the-counter service, so we can only have one family or... um, personal family in at a time and then we've got a queuing system outside and yeah then we serve everything over the counter they can pick up their own soaps you can still refill your toiletries but everything's done over the counter rather than having access to the full shop floor and how have your staff um what's the word responded to those challenges because that's a new environment for them to have to operate in um is that you know something that's going to take time for them to understand Uh, what's the reaction been so far to those measures honestly they've jumped into it head first they've responded really well it was quite funny when they first came back as all of them had forgotten the prices so that that took a few days of them looking over their shoulder at me in the hope that I remembered the prices um but no other than that they've done really really well and I think obviously they're having to watch the hygiene of everybody and themselves all the time so constantly um antibacterial and everything especially when people have been using the refills so it's quite a lot to ask them to take on in terms of just instead of just standing at a counter and taking payments um but no they've done really really well i'm really proud of them all uh, so finally then look, looking forward hannah and thinking about wales post-covid um just as someone who lives in wales what do you want wales to look like post-covid and you would have obviously you you run a business but What's the Wales that you want to see emerge from from this? We already are. I think as a country, we already are this. But I think it's something that we've definitely learned through COVID is support independent. We're everywhere. Wales is full of them. You know, every town, village has independent shops that have had so much support over the last few months when you haven't been able to access the big shops. So keep doing it. It's such an it's a lovely world with customer service as a priority and well-made products as a priority so that's something I'd love to see and taking that time to appreciate we don't need to move as fast as we've done for it's obviously the world's just got faster and faster and I think taking that time out and not realizing even just on Whitchurch Road we're right next to a traffic light and if a car doesn't move when it goes green the next row of cars all beep it's like a factor that happens every single time and we're so used to hearing it now at the shop it's like hearing birds outside um so that's something you know slow down it's we're going to get there we'll be fine so yeah it's shop independent and slow down would be my two big things for COVID-19 afterwards. Great Hannah well it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast wishing the the business uh, all the best.
Thank you so much for having me. Two great contributions this week, but before we muse on our reflections, we've just had some new announcements from Welsh Government. At the time of recording, the First Minister has just spoken. Uh, remind us here what's been announced. Yes, so we're seeing a few more restrictions being lifted over the next couple of weeks, and um, providing the evidence supports those decisions, of course. Um, so we've got hairdressers, most indoor attractions and outdoor areas for bars and restaurants opening on the 13th of July. And we've got self-contained accommodation reopening on the 11th of July as well. So providing a nice safe and welcome to break uh, for those who've been spending a lot more time at home recently, which is pretty much a lot of us. <laughs> um, so, yes, you know, providing the evidence supports that that will be going ahead um, kind of coming up in the next couple of days. Um, but further down the line, we have got some more plans for indoor areas for bars and restaurants to open, as well as beauty salons, tattoo parlours, museums, cinemas and so on. But more on those as we get closer to the time, because as we know, things can change um, depending on the situation. So, you know, we'll discuss that closer to the time. But let's talk about the guests we've had this week. How did things go with Hannah? Oh, I really enjoyed it with Hannah. Very surreal uh, interviewing her without you, Hugh. First time we've done that um, during this this journey. Um, but I'm I was really pleased that, that Hannah could could join us. Um, I was excited by her business. Actually, wasn't aware uh, of how it was set up and quite a lot of workers. Actually, I didn't realise. I think about seventeen altogether. And things have changed uh, for her. Uh, they opened up uh, a shop in Cardiff uh, in November. Uh, and then soon after, I had to close that because of um, COVID, of course. Uh, and what one of the things that I took away from it was, you know, employees have had to do different things during this period that might get them to understand a little bit what other colleagues are going through. Um, you know, I called it a day in the life of, you know, CEOs and managers spending time doing tasks that um, their employees uh, normally do and her mother was packing um, and packing products for the first time. But the really important message at the end of what Hannah was sharing, and I think it's something that you know is important, not just for their industry, but she made the point that we need to continue to, to support independent shops during this period. Um, you know, I think that's quite hard when um, people tend to want to go to supermarkets, but we've seen only in the stay local guidance and, and advice that we've had that people have turned to their to the shops that are on their doorstep and we just want that to continue that's the that's the message from hannah and what did you take from from what joe uh joe allen had to say as well well it was really nice to kind of listen back to both actually and kind of listening to both joe and hannah it certainly seems like there's a lot to do in terms of reopening businesses and reopening the economy but at the same time we're also seeing a lot of pressure to do it quickly and it must be kind of really difficult to try and balance that as well. You know, we're hearing from Hannah about kind of the precautions they were taking. We're hearing from Joe about kind of the vast body of work going into preparing different types of businesses across different sectors. So, you know, it's something that we can't do too hastily and it has to be prepared. It has to be cautious. Um. So, yeah, you know, we have to recognise that it's not easy. And, you know, it's it's easy for me to judge it from a public health point of view, kind of sat here comfortably at home, working from home, where I live very comfortably as well. But for others, it's not as easy. You know, poverty, the need to survive, the loss of security that money brings, that forces tough choices on a lot of people. And we have to recognise that. And I think, you know, we're back to those lessons that we're learning again. And, you know, something like universal basic income could be a great mechanism from protecting people in situations like this because they've not they've got that safety net they don't have to prioritize 
financial security over their own well-being which we kind of see so often happening um which you know is something that we need to tackle anyway but something again that's been highlighted throughout this process and i think you know that ties back into what hannah was saying what you were saying about shopping local and investing local money in the local economy and you know something again like ubi could really encourage more spending in the local economy and enable local independent retailers or entrepreneurs to flourish again with the safety net behind them as well absolutely and and i you know it's one of the the recommendations that the commissioner the future generations commission is very keen that um we explore that and we test that and there's been lots of research and pilots all across the world in terms of uh, ubi um but we need to see something here in wales now i think to respond to um, the the opportunities um, that it presents. What does a four day working week also present in terms of shortening a working week um, here in Wales? And there are lots of opportunities, I think, for us to be um, a bit innovative in the way that we look at work, employment, uh, and workers' voice as well. And I think one of the things that Joe made clear was that lots is changing and will continue to change for workers during this period. And it's really important that we hear and listen to them and actively. Um, encourage them to to share their views and involve them in decision making because it's going to be a scary time for lots of um individuals and you know lots happening this year won't mention the b word again but those things can have an impact on the uncertainty of different sectors as well so important for those who are not members of, of unions um consider that because the tuc can offer great support in that area and for those who are unionized or parts of unions um Remember that you've got that support from from Joe and his team uh, here in Wales to to offer more support during this time. Yes, and speaking of time, that is all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much to Hannah and to Joe for joining us. We're wishing you all the best of luck for the week ahead. Stay safe, look after yourselves and look after each other. Yes, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure you rate and subscribe. And you can join the conversation on our Twitter at Curve underscore podcast using the hashtag, hashtag Black the Curve podcast. See you next time.